This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. You're on a Tuesday drive. So glad to have you in. We'll get to the Canes elimination game in a second. But in the midst of the Roy Williams and Coach K retirement news of the last couple of months, there's a good chance we might have been overlooking a pretty fascinating story playing out in Winston-Salem right now. Pretty quietly, Steve Forbes has maneuvered around the challenges of the transfer portal pretty well. I'd say remarkably well. You could even go as far to say that the Deeks have handled the transfer portal about as well as anybody else in the league, even though Louisville's done a pretty nice job. Virginia in spots, even though they lost Casey Morsell and Justin McCoy to the teams in the triangle. But Wake Forest has done a really nice job, so much so I feel comfortable already saying, this offseason is Steve Forbes' first big success at Wake Forest. Now, if you haven't been following this, yesterday they landed a transfer by the name of Kadeem Sai, who was averaging double digits at Ole Miss, not this past season, but the season before. Grad transfer. Spent time at Virginia Tech as well, so he is familiar with the ACC corner of the world. But that's just the latest piece of talent that Steve Forbes has brought in. Before we break down all of that, it can be easy to get caught up with what's new and maybe overemphasize that given how much movement there is in college basketball particularly. But the most important thing any coach can do right now, particularly at Wake Forest, is make sure you don't lose the core of your current roster. And Wake Forest, for the first time in a long time, has not had that problem this offseason. Steve Forbes has retained the core of this roster. Three of the top four leading guys in minutes this year They're back. Tariq Ingram would have been one of those players, but he only played a couple of games before he dealt with COVID, and some of the ramifications of contracting COVID forced him out for the remainder of the year. The exception of those four is Ian DeBose. And if you dive into those details, he's not transferring to play elsewhere. He was a grad transfer from Houston Baptist. Wake would have liked to have him back, but... He didn't want to play college basketball anymore, so he's pursuing a pro career. He also probably saw the writing on the wall that Carter Witt was going to be the point guard moving forward for this team. Retention, as Deacon fans painfully know, always has been a big issue the last decade. Danny Manning, it was his biggest problem. Year after year, any promise would be sucked away by a Chondi Brown or Olivier Saar transferring out. Players going pro before they're ready. Jalen Horde, Doral Moore, you fill in the blank. And Wake was just unable to get any kind of traction as a result. It seems that Forbes is going to be a lot better in that category. It shouldn't really surprise anybody. If you just listen to this radio show and hear Forbes' personality, it's pretty easy to understand why players buy into what he's selling more than Danny Manning. Those players don't care about Danny and the miracles. They care about what type of person are you now? How much energy do you have? And Forbes has more energy than any Wake Forest coach we've seen over the last 15 years. Heck, maybe ever. Forbes has upgraded the talent with what Wake's done in the transfer portal. They've lost six or seven guys. They've picked up six in the portal. And Forbes has talked about on this show, he wants versatility Guys who can work inside, have some positionless basketball working in. I think that's why you saw a number of players down the stretch who were getting a ton of minutes early on in the year, not getting as much, and those happened to be the guys transferring out. Ish Masood comes to mind. Odi Aguama comes to mind, who I think played twenty, didn't play more than 20 minutes in four of the last five games of the season. So you lose Odi Aguama, you lose Ish Masood, you lose a handful of other guys, and you replace them 
with a player like Kadeem Sai, who they landed yesterday. Solid power forward who's going to be a good rotational piece for you. Insert 6'9", Jake LaRavia, who can play inside. He can also shoot a better fit for what Forbes wants to do. The SOCON freshman of the year, Damari Masanto, he comes from East Tennessee State. We've seen a number of guys make the transition from the SOCON and also the Big South and have success in the ACC the last couple of years. Just look at Davian Williamson, Carleek Jones, Kivi Aluma. Those guys come to mind immediately. He was an outstanding shooter. Over 11 points a game at East Tennessee State a year ago. Reunited with Coach Forbes and also with Jason Shea, who replace, replaces Randolph Childress on staff. Masanto, he might even be the best shooter that Wake Forest has going into next year. You bring in a seven-footer in Dallas Walton, who comes from the Pac-12. You're recruiting from the SEC. You're recruiting from the Pac-12. You're doing so uh, in the SOCON. There's a lot of different pools that uh, Coach Forbes has tapped into here to upgrade this roster. He's uncovered a lot of rocks thus far. So I think the Deeks are going to be competitive. A lot of that's going to be dependent on how much of a jump Carter makes. Is he going to pick up a ton of weight? How much will he benefit from playing all throughout last year? We saw how great he was in the finale. That was probably his best game, the ACC opener against Notre Dame, that the Deeks lost at the buzzer. Davian's back, Musius, they're perfect fits. They're the leaders you want leading the way. And then elsewhere, you just got depth and competition all across the board. I don't think the ACC is looking all that strong nationally when you look at the bigger picture. Florida State's going to take a step back with the number of the players they lost. Duke, they're going to be strong as hell. North Carolina, we'll see with Hubert Davis leading the way. Louisville's a bit of a question mark. Virginia's lost a ton of talent. I'm not saying the Deeks are going to be competitive to the point where they're getting a double bye in the ACC tournament, but I don't think it's unreasonable to look at this team and think they're going to be competitive and they're going to be a top 10 team in the ACC. I think they very well could do that as early as Steve Forbes' second year. That's the next challenge on the horizon. Forbes' first big success at Wake is retaining the core of this team and upgrading the talent level in the offseason. As I mentioned, the Carolina Hurricanes are in action tonight. It's Game 5. The Canes are facing elimination, Robert. Robert. Thank you for that. Do you like the 30 for 30 series? I Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I've, the ones I've seen have been really good. Which one comes to mind first? Uh, is there a Ricky Williams? Is that a 30 for yeah, 30? That's the first season of 30. For yeah. 30. Those, I've probably seen the whole first season and then not so much after that. From the first season, there's the four days in October, Boston Red Sox rally against the New York Yankees, 30 for 30. And my favorite scene from that doc is Kevin Millar game four Red Sox down three games to nothing to the Yankees walking around to everybody and anybody who will listen to him. And all he kept on saying was, I know we're down three games to nothing, but don't let the Red Sox win tonight. Don't let the Red Sox win today. Take us out of our misery now. Don't let the Red Sox win today. That's the way I feel about the Carolina Hurricanes tonight. Hey, Tampa, if you're going to win this series, do it tonight. Do not let the Carolina Hurricanes win today. Because right now... Hope is at an all-time low. Down three games to one. Facing the defending champs. Blew a lead in the last game and also lost the first two home games at PNC Arena. This will be Tampa's best chance to advance. It isn't to say if Carolina wins tonight, Tampa's still not going to win the series. They very well could win on their home ice. But you hear coaches in all sports where that require series wins. Talk about it. The final win's the most difficult one to get. And what I'm saying is, tonight is Tampa's best opportunity to close out this series. If Carolina wins, things can flip very fast. It could become like Washington in 2019. That's what I would say if I was Rod. Hey, you guys won game five? Now we're going back to Tampa? We've been in this spot before. Take care of business, and 
let's let's go. We could beat the champs. We could do this thing. Carolina's already won on Tampa's home ice. They probably should have done so twice. And unlike 2019, Game 7 will be on Carolina's home ice. So Tampa, don't let Carolina win today. That's the advice I have for you. Brenda Moore was meeting with the press today. He said that Nino Niederreiter is likely going to play tonight. That's a pretty big deal if it could be disruptive in front of Vasilevsky. Trocek likely to play too. We'll see what young Tro can give Carolina. We do not know if Warren Fogel's going to play. It seems it's less likely he will be able to go. Brenda Moore called him a 50-50 shot. He also would not name a goaltender. Going all Larry Fedora. Talking about injuries when asked about that. I think it should be Ned. I think it will be Ned later on tonight. If you're Carolina, I don't think Ned ever should have been benched. There's no doubt that Ned has been the best goaltender for Carolina all year. This is the biggest game. And Peter wasn't good in the last one. And they lost two in a row. He had his opportunity. Change things up. You're on home ice. Go with Ned. That's the guy who should be starting for Carolina later on. Really hope they're able to get the win. Hayes Permar, he'll join us in about 20 minutes. We'll play skip or plays with Hayes. Robert dug up some sound he's telling me of a Hayes Permar song that we didn't get to that you might find of interest at the bottom of the hour. And in the NBA, the Nets won by 40 last night. 39, but essentially 40. I think at one point they were leading by 49 points in the game. It was an absolute demolition of the Milwaukee Bucks for the second straight game. However, I'll tell you why it would be a mistake to write off the Bucks today. Next on The Drive. I need the advice of a professional. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We'll play Skipper Plays with Hayes when he joins us in a few minutes. But before we get to Hayes from Sports Channel 8, he's known to put together these parody songs that are often about state of North Carolina teams. Recently, a lot of them have been about the Carolina Hurricanes, considering how strong they are. He had the Petey Pablo cover at the start of the playoffs that made fun of Trip Tracy calling all these celebrities big caniacs. But this one was overlooked, Robert. And how would you best explain the clip that you're about to play here? I don't know the title of it and the background here. I feel like we need to provide some kind of context before we play the sound of Hayes' song from a few months ago. Well, it's in the tune of the old uh, Quiznos. They're called Sponge Monkeys is what they called them. But, but they're, they're little rats. Little rats. Uh, with like the cutout features on them, and Hayes made like a parody of their original commercial, and put it with uh, like you're buying uh, Carolina Hurricanes players instead. Whatever happened to Quiznos subs? Are they still around? My parents owned two sub Quiznos sub franchises. Well, it sounds like you should be the utmost authority on that. Then right, they had these ads. One of them was with the baby named Bob. They had the Quiznos rats that I thought was just an obscure thing. In my worldview, we had those ads running and my family had some Quiznos subs franchises. I didn't think it was a thing that people knew, let alone 15 years later. But you're telling me there's a mainstream consciousness to these Quiznos rats or sponge monkeys or whatever we're calling these things? Is that what you're telling me? I mean, yeah, people remember it, I think, not as much fondly as they would... Kind of like, oh, yeah, that was something that I used to make fun of when it would come on in between games or Seinfeld or whatever you were watching back then. All right, let's hear the song. Enough filibustering here. Let's hear Hayes' song from a few months ago. We love the Kings Because they are fun to watch The Hurricanes They are cool because we love them And because the ice is frozen and Mr. Svechnikov 
Try any one of the Canes featured forwards, Svechnikov, Stahl, or Aho. We love the Canes! The Hurricane. Mmm, toasting the Central. <laughs> so it's recent. The Central Division, Aho, Mr. Svechnikov. It, it's recent. But the reference is absolutely ancient, which is why I'm kind of surprised it made an appearance. I didn't think there was mainstream consciousness in 2021 of the Quiznos subs, hamsters, and or sponge monkeys that Hayes was making fun of. It's just a really strange thing to parody. So before we get to skips or plays with Hayes, Hayes is now on the line with us. The Quiznos subs, sponge monkeys, slash rats. What made you feel that in 2021, yeah, a lot of people are going to remember these things? All right, so this was a thing, Jessica, and you missed it. The Hurricanes social Graham. media slash content team is so fast that sometimes they blow through these things and keep moving before you even realize that they're on to the next great thing. And early in this season, I can't remember what team it was. I believe it was maybe the Dallas Stars social media account made fun of the Hurricanes logo saying they stole it from Quiznos. So then the Canes leaned into that and started, you know, like owning it, being like, yeah, we're Quiznos. We're the the hockey team of Quiznos. So there was a brief two-week period where there was a love affair between the Carolina Hurricanes and Quiznos in 2020, and I think it even resulted in Quiznos making a donation to the Hurricanes uh, Foundation. But yeah, it was it was at a, a week or two week period where they were sort of leaning into another team's joke of their hur- their logo, the Hurricane, being stolen from Quiznos. Do you realize you called me Josh Goodson? Uh, that's okay because I've called Josh Goodson, Josh Graham. Three or four times because we've done a lot more radio together, so it, it 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 all balances out. I apologize. Okay, when we're making love on the air here, I don't. I want you to call me by the proper name. That's Ooh. that's all. I appreciate. Oh, wow. Let's get to skips or plays with Hayes. Hayes Permar is somewhat of a Renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, but he hangs his hat on music. Loves his God, and he's no friend of Satan. Feels like oh six, getting busy with the sticks, been watching Big Mike and. I just need a Zion and someone he can dunk on. Today, Hayes will decide if this music is smash or trash, glows or blows. It's time for Skips or Plays with Hayes. Before I pass it along to Robert, let's start here. Skip or Play, the new intro music for Skip or Plays with Hayes. That's a hard play. That's a great intro. Um, It uses, you know, it samples some of my own songs. It's got a great non-licensed bed running underneath it afterwards. That's that's a full play. Robert Walsh. Well, I'm glad you dig it. Uh, our DJ, our, our uh, production guy DJ, worked very, very hard on that, making uh, it come to true. But we're, that's not what we're here for. We're here for real music. And I felt like the Canes being down and all, they need some pump up. They need a reason to get up and go. So today on Skipper Plays, we're going to be discussing uh, pump up music. And the first song we've got is a classic. Uh, I think it was popularized in Rocky. What do you think about Eye of the Tiger? I mean, it's a classic, honestly. Right? Yeah, I'm a fan. No, I, I love it. I actually, I think I heard. Did, uh, what's the What's the Karate Kid song? You're the best around. Ah, uh, yep. I, Nothing's ever gonna bring like you down. You, you know, you know. Sometimes you'll hear those stories about you know this rap song was actually supposed to have this beat. But then somebody sold it to somebody else first. Can you imagine this? This happened in the 80s, where I believe uh, the Rocky franchise was originally going to get You're the Best Around, but maybe they passed on it to go for Eye of the Tiger to get the best around in another Karate Kid. But I think it all worked out for everyone. This is a hard play. A lot of people think Eye of the Tiger goes back to the original Rocky. I believe it came in for Rocky 3. That's right. Which is an un- underrated Rocky. Everybody remembers Rocky 1 because the Academy Award winner. Rocky 4, the Russian. Drago. Became sort of a, yeah, became a cult classic. Rocky 3, very underrated and this song helped make it so. That's a huge play. Hey, Spermar. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> that. Yeah. 
All right, for our second song, this has uh, a lot of surprises. A in little it. bit of a college football banger. Uh, I'm not a fan of it because of how much it got played, but the Scripps Hall of Fame. Oh. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your I can already skip this for you if anybody else is also tired of the, the, the Hall of Fame. Let it in the Hall of Fame! It's coming. You, you don't even have to sing it for it. Now, this is a big skip. I feel like this is on Josh, uh, Josh Graham's workout playlist. I'll it again. It there. But uh, there's a whole, much like there is with sports movies, yeah, there it is. There's a whole genre of music that, like, when you're listening to it, you think, these people didn't think I'm writing a good song. They thought, I'm writing a song that ESPN will pay, fill in the blank amount, and that will make it worth my time. And I'm not, like, a pure artist. I get that there's, like, money as an element of that. Like, any artist has to make enough money to survive to make the next thing of art, right? So, like, I get it. There is a business side to it. But these songs... The whole Imagine Dragons, you know, catalog, Hall of Fame, all those are just a skip for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, you're listening to The Drive with Josh Goodson with Hayes Primar hanging out with us here on a Tuesday drive. So we've got one play, one skip. Do we have one more left in the shoot here, Robert? Uh, you know we do because this is a, sh- a song Josh showed to me earlier today when I was like, "Hey, oh wow, we're gonna do this." Uh, I'm uh, I'm coming up with a list of like pump up songs because the canes are down. He was like, "Oh man, you got to put this song in there by Pitbull." So you're gonna hear it uh, for the second time I've heard it is right now because I could only listen to it once. Hayes, I just needed I'm you interested. to tell me whether this NBA version of the or NBA oh. playoffs version of Timber. <laughs> Is a skipper a play? Oh, God. Playoffs. Playoffs. Josh loves this song. Dale. It's so good. All right. Robert, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit. There's no reason I should like this song. And the, the actual Playoffs. song, Timber, hard skip. No time for it. Most of Pitbull stuff, except for the Don't Stop the Party one, most of that stuff is skipped. But actually, Pitbull on Timber, I'm giving it a play. This gets me hyped. I need this in the Canes locker room tonight. I'm all in on this one. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. But this is the play for me, Rob. Yeah, the sirens are sounding in our in our uh, studio right now. That's actually not a joke. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> well, you did disappoint me, but it, but that's okay. You know, it, it's not my opinion. It's not Josh's opinion. It's your opinion. As the imaging said, you are a renaissance man, an expert in the finer things, so I appreciate your opinion on our musical palette for today. Uh, the last thing, I'm going to throw a quick bonus one in there. The last thing I'm skipping on is sitting under the pier at the beach. Uh, for those who don't know this thing, Josh Graham is a psycho, and when he goes to the beach, he sits under the pier. Only weirdos do that. Real people sit actually out on the beach. So that's, that's where I'm headed back after this. I think you just haven't tried it, and you don't understand how majestic of an experience it is to have options between getting burnt and also just sitting underneath the sun. No, that's what I bring my Shibumi shade for. I've got my own shade. You're like literally You wouldn't need to bring that out that's there. What, you wouldn't have to carry it. In. Somebody who lives under a bridge or pier-like structure, you're just, like, for all the weird tendencies you already have, now this, like, takes it up to another level. People walking by and be like, kids, give wide berths to the kids. The guy sitting under the pier for his good time. Stay away from that guy. Hayes, enjoy Game 5 tonight. We'll talk to you next week. Will do. Go Canes! There you go. He's on Twitter at DHPIV. That's been Skipper Plays. With Hayes, I really do enjoy Pitbull. I enjoy the lyrics on that song. Do people still do that? Do they still do, hey, we need you to change up the lyrics to a popular song to fit the NBA or NFL? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Lil Wayne did it for Green Bay. That's right. He did I don't know that. if they've done it since then. But did you have a favorite part of that song? Oh, was it? Can uh, you give me? Can we? Because Hayes was talking during it. Play y'all. Play y'all. The verse. Can you get to the verse at the end of it? Uh, you just got to listen to the whole thing. What's great about Play it y'all. is the sirens continue to sound in our building. I hope this building isn't burning to the ground. 
But if it is, I don't care! Do your tease to this. Two orders of business to take care of, everybody. And we'll do this momentarily. We'll be taking and answering your unusual questions at 336-777-1600. And we've got plenty of ACC baseball to get to as well. Pretty big update there, and it's all coming up next on The Drive. Listen to this guy. Hour after hour. What is this? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. So last night was really strange. I didn't realize that the Bachelorette season was about to start. I've lost all kinds of realization of calendar any sense of calendars what i guess i should have said there and katie thurston's season was set to start usually that would mean i'm so prepared we're going to do a bachelor or bachelorette draft robert's going to put together new production and imaging to make things sound good for this segment by the way we'll get to acc basketball and the brooklyn nets in about 15 minutes Last night, trying things out on Twitter spaces, getting people involved. Maybe we'll do a lot more of that. Love the Twitter spaces feature versus Clubhouse, which we tried out last year. But uh, the new season's underway, which means we bring back the Bachelorette Minute. I really appreciate Robert here because I put him in a tough spot. He has to put together the different sounds and intros that you hear on this show. He told me he got it turned around really quickly here, and it's a seamless edit. We have a voice guy that we have to work through to make sure everything sounds up to date and ready to go. Robert got this taken care of when I told him yesterday we needed a bachelorette minute, so I don't think you're going to be able to tell any difference or any abnormalities with how this intro sounds here, but let's go ahead and knock it out. I really do appreciate you, Robert, for putting this together on short notice. So, it's another ongoing, never-ending series of The Bachelorette. Close your eyes, relax, relax. and enjoy, enjoy the sounds, sounds of Kevin. Well, actually, it's Katie this time. Katie. Just a single lady with her hands up. If you really like it, you should put a ring on it. It's Katie this time. Welcome to the Bachelorette Minute. <laughs> I spit out my water. That's <laughs> Keep it together, Josh. Keep it together. So the Bachelorette Minute, it was the debut last night, and I am all in on Katie Thurston and this season, Robert. If you don't remember her, she was the one creating drama in Matt James' this season. It started from the very beginning when she surprised him. First impression style by whipping out an adult toy to try and break the ice. So Lord knows what we were going to get in episode one of this Bachelorette season with her running the show. I thought I was going to miss Chris Harrison a lot more. Earlier today, it was announced that Chris Harrison is leaving The Bachelor for good. They replaced him with a combination of past Bachelorettes, Tasia and Caitlin. I thought they were fun. It was a different type of energy. Katie's so likable. She's sexy. It's good TV. So that's the starting point here. Robert, this is really what we're interested in. I told Mike Solarti yesterday this from uh, Spectrum News. He asked the question, is the first episode of The Bachelorette or Bachelor a lot like American Idol where you have all those bad people just watch for the car crash? You watch for William Hung. You watch for people who sing terribly and think they're pretty good. Is that kind of what the first episode of each Bachelor or Bachelorette season is? And I answered that question, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Where you have people just trying to collect fame, get their 15 minutes, do something that's outrageous and gets attention on national TV. So here's what I have here for you, Robert. I have the three best first impressions, the three worst first impressions 
Which would you like to hear first? Uh, I want the bad ones last, so let's get to the good ones. Here is the best three first impressions. Catman Connor B. This guy is an eighth grade teacher in Nashville. Robert, what do you know about middle schoolers? Uh, They're not great. They're not great at all. So imagine being one of his eighth grade math students turning on ABC and the first thing you see is he is naked in his bathtub playing a ukulele and the first impression he made on Katie was wearing a cat suit, a full cat suit, and he also painted whiskers on his face. Everybody else is wearing tuxedos. He is dressed like a cat. And we thought this was just a bit, oh man, this guy's not serious about it. He's just trying to make people laugh. No, he did his homework and realized Katie really loves cats. And she's the type of person, given what her first impression was for Matt James, who would have appreciated something like this. So this guy went all out, and he ended up getting the first or second kiss from Katie Thurston on the first night. Almost got the first impression rose. She's handing out kisses on the first night? Yeah, this dude went all out. Like, he went to the door and started scratching the door as if he was a cat after passing Katie. Katie really appreciated that. It was a great first impression. But imagine being one of those eighth grade students, Robert, and he comes back to class and you just saw him on national TV dressed like a cat and also naked in a bathtub playing the ukulele. Middle schoolers, that would be a girl. Middle schoolers would not watch The Bachelorette. I think he's safe from the the dudes that would harass him. Second best first impression, a guy named Trey, smartest guy of the entire bunch of dudes. This guy's a software manager. He speaks multiple languages. He's so charming. He rolled up not driving a souped-up F-150. He popped out of the bed of the truck that was filled with a bunch of... What would you describe it? What? Would, how would you describe the balls from a ball pit? We'll just call it that. I would call it balls from a ball pit. Ball pit balls. They're in the back of this bed of the truck. He pops out and then invites Katie, after they get inside, to go outside and hang out in the ball pit together while drinking wine. Great move. This guy had all the stops, left a great first impression, but I am fearful that he might be going into the friend zone. He's a little bit too good to be true. And the last great first impression was Box Guy James. This guy rolled up, Robert. He was pushed out in front of Katie in a present. Like, in a box that is wrapped with a bow, he's in a present. And I'm fully expecting this to be hokey. He's just going to pop out and then say hello. No. He said, I'll just see you inside. You can then get your present then. So he had the people who pushed him out there to push him back inside. So all the dudes inside are meeting each other. And then they just see some dude that's in a box. Hey, what's up? What's your name? My name's James. He's in the box. And we're just expecting this dude to be ugly, horrific, terrible. He wasn't going to come out of the box until Katie went inside and asked for him to come out. So when it happened, this guy pops out and he has the best suit, might be the most handsome guy in the entire building. And it was a great move. Some would think, Josh, it's kind of risky. She only she has 29 other dudes competing for her attention. You're really risking it by being in this box where you might stay the remainder of the night and get sent home. To that, I'd say there's no chance the Bachelor producers were going to let that happen. Yeah, it was their idea that he was in the box in the first place. Perhaps so. Great first impression by Boxman James. Now for the worst impressions. Gabriel from Charlotte. Remember we talked about him yesterday, the entrepreneur from Charlotte? He decided it'd be a great idea. First impression approaching Katie. Hey, you know, I'm somebody, my love language is physical touch. How about we have one of the most special hugs right now? That's what the guy says. And he has like a really long, awkward hug with Katie. And then I don't think they interacted once they got indoors. The other state of North Carolina tie was Landon, the basketball coach we were talking about yesterday. He was 25. Before going to the University of Houston, he was an App State basketball player. Also sent home because he didn't have anything interesting to say. The only drama from the entire episode was Aaron 
confronting some dude who brought a blow-up doll in and saying, I just want to let you know, dude, I don't like you. Right to his face. I don't like you. Why are you saying this? I'm just letting you know. I don't like you, dude. And then it got really awkward. They had, like, really tense faces as they walked back into the party. And everyone's like, what's happening here? And he said, nah, man, we're just having a good time. It's a party. Lighten up, everyone. And, of course, if you're the jerk that creates the only bit of drama, you're going to be advanced because the producers want to keep you around. So Aaron had a heady play there. The worst impression of the entire first episode, though, was left by a guy named Jeff. Jeff decided it would be a great idea to introduce Katie to his home. His home being an RV that looks like it's straight out of Breaking Bad. Now, if you're going to invite someone onto your RV, please don't look like you have the hairline of Buffalo Bill. Don't do that. That's what Jeff was rocking with. The teeth weren't great either. It was a creepy deal. And then when she got onto the RV, there was his underwear sitting around and he didn't clean up the joint at all. So that's how it ended for Jeff, who, by the way, his profession is a surgical skin salesman. He might actually be modern day Buffalo Bill. So maybe that's a pretty apt comparison there. And that's been the Bachelorette Minute. I sold Solardi on getting into the show, by the way. He said he didn't watch it before. He had no interest in watching, but he heard us talking about it on Twitter yesterday and said, you know what? I'm going to watch this season now. And I hope some of you feel the same exact way listening to this show. Uh, are you going to talk about sports, Josh? Fine. A regular little chatterbox. Already talking a mile a minute. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. What is the NBA doing with these announcements? Robert, didn't you tell us yesterday? Well, we know who the Sixth Man of the Year award is. Congrats to Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson, for winning that award for Utah. Then we learned that that is right, that Clarkson won the award, right? The Kia Sixth Man of the Year. The Kia Sixth Man of the Year. Well, earlier today, the Coach of the Year was announced, and it's not Monty Williams, as it seemed Woj indicated it was going to be a few weeks ago. It was Tom Thibodeau. And according to Shams, Nikola Jokic has won the MVP award. That should not really be a shocker to anyone. This year, so many were disqualified by just not playing enough games. It's not disrespect to Joel Embiid, who was dealing with an injury, or to fill in the blank. Any of the other guys up for contention, Steph Curry. Nikola Jokic is the right choice for the MVP, where we're being joined by the radio voice of the Hornets, Sam Farber. So I've had some listeners check me on this in the last 20 to 25 minutes, where I said, looking at the Hornets situation relative to the Atlanta Hawks, who are trying to go up two games to nothing on the Philadelphia 76ers, Atlanta a year ago, let's say, Charlotte has a lot of similarities here. Atlanta had some money to spend in the offseason. They spent it, and they've they got a Clint Capella, and they got a, They have Bogdanovich, and they have Danilo Gallinari, and they've figured out, we're going to build our team around our point guard in Trey Young. And they have these young players that they drafted up front who are pretty darn good, DeAndre Hunter and uh, John Collins from Wake Forest. The Hornets have Miles Bridges and this P.J. Washington fella and LaMelo Ball that they're going to build around and Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, who are already pretty good sh- shooters and scorers. They just need to figure things out up front. So when you look at Charlotte, what this offseason could be for them, the draft coupled with what's available to them in free agency, something they can actually participate in with some cap space, how excited does it make you? Oh, extremely excited. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me. It's, it's great to talk to you again. Of course. And, uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. I think Atlanta is the comparison. 
I think the Hornets are further along, um, quite frankly, because Trey Young, it took, what, I think this is year three now. That's correct. That he's finally, you know, getting some more help. Uh, the Hornets have essentially just kind of stayed the course with uh, a normal rebuild, if you will, by sticking to their draft spot, not making too many crazy moves and uh, in terms of giving up assets. Uh, they, they've hoarded their assets or, or held on to them at the very least. And when an opportunity came to get an elite all-star level player, they took it. Uh, and Gordon Hayward had a huge impact in year one. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. I think, you know, this next season, particularly because LaMelo's never had a full offseason. He, you know, really was at a disadvantage, as all rookies were this past season, in terms of uh, getting themselves ready for an NBA season without all the normal NBA offseason orientations such as summer league and a normal training camp and still perform that well. So, um, you know, this summer specifically might not be the, the one where the team has to go on a shopping spree, but they can. And that is a great opportunity for the Hornets and their fan base. Is the answer at center available on the free agent market? Or do you think Mitch might have to try and sure up that spot via trade? Well, I think there are a lot of options. I think when you, you look around the NBA, you look at a guy like Nerlens Noel, he was available for a one-year deal at a manageable contract, and he was one of the elite shot blockers in the NBA. So there are a lot of these players who had been lottery picks at one point in time and maybe needed a change of scenery. And, and keep in mind, you know, the center position is so fickle and it is so difficult to get players you know, up to speed. I mean, it, when, when you draft a 19-year-old guard, it, the tendency is, you know, they're they're already at maybe an NBA height or close to it. Uh, maybe they need to put on a few pounds, but athletically they're keeping up. When you draft an NBA center at the age of 19, they're probably giving up 30, 40 pounds to a Joel Embiid. They're, they're giving up a lot in terms of the physical maturation and development. So, you know, some of these guys that were drafted – that teams or you know fans have given up on three or four years ago. All of a sudden, you, you know, you fast forward to the present, and now instead of being 19, they're 23 and 24, and they figured out how to play the NBA game a little better. Maybe they've stretched out their jump shot a little bit more, and all of a sudden they're better options. So, you know, yeah, there are some trade names that have been thrown around that I, I I'm sure Mitch Kupchak is going to kick the tires on and, and at least you know contemplate what they might bring. But there are a lot of ways to solve that riddle, including, you know, bringing back one of the guys or both of the guys they had last year and, and hope for in a more normal season better returns. It is the radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets, Sam Farber, with us here. He's on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. You could shoot him shoot him a follow there. Let's get to some broader NBA topics here. Let's see, we'll do this get to as many as quickly as possible that we can get to here, including the breaking news that we brought up a few minutes ago that according to Shams, that Nikola Jokic has won the MVP. It seemed like to me that this was the only choice, but just because it's not surprising doesn't mean it's not a great story when you consider he was taken 41st in the draft from the Serbian League. He is the lowest draft pick in NBA history to ever win the MVP. And I think there was another that was selected in the second round that won the MVP, but that was back like in the late 60s, early 70s, when that player might have been drafted 11th, 12th, or 13th overall in the second round. So he's the only real second-round pick to ever win the MVP award. It's a pretty cool deal. What was your reaction to this? It's a fantastic story. He would have had my vote. You know, We'll see when the uh, actual award comes out, whether sure. it's true, but I you have no reason to doubt Shams. Uh, you know, look, he, he is a spectacular player who had a great season. I think a lot of people thought with the Jamal Murray injury that all of a sudden things were going to fall apart uh, for Denver, and they decidedly did not. He, he has been spectacular. He's earned it. And while there's a lot of people in the NBA, particularly in Philadelphia, celebrating the, uh, the culmination or at least a major stopping point uh, or a focal point on the process pathway by claiming the one seat in the East, uh, here you have Denver, who drafted well, developed well, didn't force its fan base to, you know, absorb year after year of terrible basketball, and look where they are now. They're in the thick of it in the Western Conference with the MVP 
presumably of the NBA. Who's the best team in the West, do you think? Oh, that's a tough question. I think you can make an argument for a lot of them. I think Phoenix is really interesting. Uh, DeAndre Ayton's you know, development, is he far off along to win that team a championship? Uh, I think that's kind of a, a major question there, but I, I do like the Suns a lot. Denver, I, I would have said, was the best team if they were healthy, but they're certainly not, so that certainly uh, changes the arithmetic on them. Uh, it, it's really hard. I, I think you, you probably have to go Utah because even though they're not the flashiest of teams, they seem to be the most complete. And I know there's some injury concerns there as well, but they're certainly not of the gravity that the Nuggets are dealing with. Um, so I, I'm going to go Utah as the best team in the West. I'm with you on that. I think Utah slightly edges the Phoenix Suns uh, in the Western Conference, but there is a lot of parity as you hit on there. We're being joined by Sam Farber, radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets. I don't think Milwaukee is done. It's two games to nothing this series. They got blown out in the first two games. I brought up a stat earlier that I think is relevant, that since the All-Star break, slightly over 20% of games have been decided by 20 points or more. That's the highest rate of games decided by 20-plus in the NBA since 1968, 53 years. So it's a small sample, and just because it's a blowout, I think because of the the, the NBA's... Uh, dependence on the three-point line, you're going to have many of these margins, especially when teams are trying to come back and force a bunch of threes up. I'm not really that worried about it. This isn't to say Milwaukee's going to win the series, but do you see any way that Milwaukee can fight back? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they made a lot of really good moves in the offseason. They were strategic in how they approached the regular season, both in terms of resting their stars as well as in implementing some new defensive concepts that we really haven't seen as much in previous off-seasons. And granted, they've been blown out a couple of times, so you know, defense is, is probably not something to uh, tout as the, the big uh, equalizer for this series. Uh, but the great thing, I think, by Phil Jackson is that you know, a series doesn't really start until someone's won on the road. So I think Milwaukee has a chance to come home, get right, and they've got the best player in basketball. I know that Nikola Jokic is the MVP, but the most dominant offensive force, the, the uh, most likely player to get a bucket in any scenario right now is Giannis Antetokounmpo coming with a full head of steam down the lane. So I don't count Milwaukee out by a long shot. Sam, congratulations on your first year with the Hornets. We'll have to catch up later on in these playoffs, and the next time you're around these parts, uh, perhaps we could see each other face-to-face because I know we were unable to do that because of COVID. Thank you for the visit, too, by the way. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you, and uh, we're all rooting on the Canes to uh, you know, ma- make things interesting here in the next couple of days here and get on to the next round. Right on. Well said. That is Sam Farber. Appreciate the time, buddy. Voice of the Charlotte Hornets on radio. <sighs> I really hope the Canes win tonight. Yes! I really do. But... I don't think it's going to happen. That's too damn bad! I don't... In my gut, I feel it all the way down to my plums, Robert. I think it's going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. I do. I think it should be Ned and Net, but I bet you they're going to go Morozik because I know Sarah Sivian knows her stuff, and she thinks it's going to be Morozik. And I think it was a mistake to go to him. But that's what I think Carolina is going to do tonight. Um, this is coming from a terrified Carolina Hurricanes fan that wants good things to happen and wants to feel optimistic and wants to win this series. I do believe it. If Carolina wins tonight, I'm going to be an unreasonable lunatic on the air tomorrow talking about Carolina's chances. You best believe that. But I. I said it on Friday. I felt Tampa was going to win game four and they were going to finish things off on Tuesday in in Raleigh. And I still I still feel that way. I, I think it's going to be Tampa tonight. They're not afraid of playing at PNC and they won the first two games and there weren't really any significant tests of Tampa, it felt like, in those first two games. But who knows? 
maybe Matt Rule's presence can change things. What does have to happen? Like, if they are going to win, what has to happen? Uh, well, Nino Niederreiter needs to look like himself and disrupt things in front of Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky has to give up three or four goals again. Like, you got to get three to have a shot. Four would be preferable, but Carolina got four the other night, and it wasn't enough, and they let it slip away. So disruption's important. you got to get three or four past Vasilevsky. You can't be banking on a two-to-one win. That'd be great, but I don't know if you can hold Tampa Bay out that long. The most important thing, Carolina needs to stay out of the box. Stop bitching about uh, these penalties that weren't called on Tampa as if you didn't commit those penalties. You did commit those penalties. The refs called them. You need to stay out of the box. If Carolina gives Tampa, I'll give the number five. If Tampa Bay has five power plays, then Carolina's not winning this game. Four is probably pushing it. Stay out of the box. If I I can live with four, but if it's five, six, seven power plays... It's just way too many. So Carolina needs to stay out of the box, put at least three past Vasilevsky, and I think that could be enough to win at home and force a game six. What would it take for Rod to get in a fight? Because I feel like that's what, if if they're going to go down, I just want him to go down swinging. Go down with the ship. I don't think Rod is a fighter. Show that bot off. Yeah. I don't think Rod, he... Even as a player, he wasn't much of a fighter. And he had the bod, and he was in his prime. He could have just knocked people out. He didn't. Maybe he could fight the referees then. He is really upset about the penalties, right? Maybe if he fought them, he could get a penalty worth getting called. But it's important noting, last series, he was upset about the actual calls. He was more upset at his guys than he was that the refs called them last game. Robert, what do we got in Ticket to the House today? I got a little Angler news, and Mike Myers is coming out with a new Netflix show. I love Anglers, and I love Mike Myers. We'll get to both of those next on The Drive. This day in sports history. June 8, 1966, the Mets swing and miss in the draft, passing on eventual Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson. Instead, selecting Steve Chilcott with the number one overall pick. Chilcott played six minor league seasons and is one of only four players